It's Zach Langley Chichi. I'm so popular. Last week, we decided to do away with the concept of utopias by discussing Thomas More's Utopia, Bjork's Utopia, and John Borman's Zardos. It's one of my favorite episodes this season, so definitely give it a listen. But we're back today to discuss the history of the United States of America in its totality, the HIV AIDS virus, and the two-volume novel by Larry Kramer, The American People, Volume 1, Search for My Heart, a novel, and The American People, Volume 2, The Brutality of Fact, a novel, both, of course, by Larry Kramer. This is going to be a sprawling two-episode literal search for my heart. This is bleak stuff. Um, No one in the entire world has read either of these novels. No one understands American history like I do, and... I think things are going to be very different by the time we're done here, but I have a first-time guest on today, a dear friend of mine. Who are you? I'm Jocko Homo. Hi. Hey, Jocko Homo, what are you doing? I'm talking to you, Zach, um, and I'm super excited because this has been a long time coming, and I feel like the universe keeps trying to prevent us from doing it. So Yeah, we basically... <laughs> We basically were set to record this last week, and then I was um, recovering from some serious inebriation and was dry heaving into the toilet. So that (laughs) didn't happen last week. And then it didn't happen um, quite on time today because of juicy gossip available only to subscribers of my Patreon on Sirens. But why do you follow me, Jocko? I follow you because... um... Well, because of Jack, I guess, because I, I I first encountered you on my wading through the Perfume Nationalist episode by episode. Um, what was your first episode? My on first that? one was about um, two Isabel Huppert films with Chanel number 19. We did The Piano Teacher and Elle with Adam Lambert. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I remember <clears throat> listening to you on there and... Um, being like, who's this like cunty queen? And uh, the rest is history. <laughs> I'm obsessed with you because um, you being one of the few people who's ever completed the Perfume Nationalist, that's a tall order at the episode count it's <laughs> at at this point. And um, I know. someone with that kind of listening and uh, understanding power is someone who can get through these two enormous tomes. So you know, I actually invited Harry Tafoya on to do this about 10 months ago because I've always wanted to talk about these books and he just never replied to me. So I'm glad that you have the power to. I think it'll be a better episode with you than him, to be honest. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, fuck that. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, no shade. No shade. No shade. No. There's a whole but bunch yeah, of I things. Mean, like, oh, yeah. has, has that guy listened to the entirety of Perfume Nationalist? Like, I don't think so. No, no. Unless you really have, like, the wherewithal to understand something in its completion, these books would be completely lost on you, which is why I'm very glad that I'm here to explain (laughs) them because no one will ever read them. They are so incomprehensible and frustrating and overwrought, too verbose, obnoxious, narcissistic, and quite frankly, ridiculous at times. But in their whole power, I mean, it's completely breathtaking. So I'm glad that you're here to help share this gospel with the world (laughs) (laughs) i am i actually love these books they are 
they are not very well written. Like, I mean, <laughs> I mean, he's a, he's a good writer, but like, if, I'm glad that this podcast isn't like a academic critical analysis of like literature or something because we don't give a fuck about the quality. I mean, they're really boring too. Um, there's exciting parts, but uh, like I said earlier, like if you hadn't assigned this to me, like I would have never read this show. <laughs> oh yeah, it's one of the most deeply monotonous reading experiences probably accomplished in human history. I honestly think like reading a book about how to learn like Python programming or something would be livelier and fresher than parts of this book but one of the other reasons i wanted to have you on is because uh, you're a normal gay guy (laughs) (laughs) okay we're we're both we were both in fraternities in college we're the same age and another thing i love about you is that you have the best drag race opinions known to man you're joking why do you think that (laughs) i'm 100 sure because you've made me change my mind about things like I used to hate Nina West, like, beyond all measure. Like, I wanted her (laughs) on the cannibal Holocaust post, like, bleeding out of her mouth. But then you're like, but she's the heart of season 10. And I was like, oh. She is. I'm like, you're right. She is the heart of season 10. (laughs) I don't, like, stand her, but I always thought she was so endearing. And um, it's, like, now that the later seasons are just, like, awful Zoomers, uh nina being like an older queen um just seems like because like she has that whole plot line about you know being involved in like gay activism like she was a republican when she was younger or something and then she becomes like she just seems like a normie gay activist and um i don't know she i feel like she probably would have read these books honestly she seems like the type you definitely read faggots at the very least which is the other larry kramer novel but like yeah yeah that appreciation for like what makes a drag queen like someone that's worth being on the show really like has recontextualized my viewing experience especially when we talked about that one time like who are the worst queens in history and i named like four people and you're like no she's not that bad and then quickly they gave a concise reason and i'm like oh my god and i realized like how much of a hater i was like you watch it in like the gay bar like we're going to go watch the game kind of way which has a made this most recent season a lot more um, tolerable. I'm so excited for All-Stars. Oh, it's going to be Zippo. everything. I love Darian. Uh, I love Darian. Kasha's great. Actually, all of them are great. I watched the entrances, and uh, Monica Beverly Hills walks in. She's like, drag is what I do. Monica is who I am. That's her entrance line. And I'm like, that's fucking amazing. Slay, like, bitch. That's- play like i mean it's just like we need like the dumb like filler queens from the early seasons to make it interesting i'm excited i'm in, i am too so let's get into it so let's get into it we are going to go through the entire history of the united states of america today and uh next week but basically to summarize why i wanted to do this episode um towards the beginning of the season i think my second episode was about my love for Japan and living here as a foreigner and what that means for me ecstatically. And now that this is basically the penultimate episode of uh, of this season before the world must be remade, I really feel like I had to look back at my country of origin, even though I haven't been there 
for five years, um, which is a, about 25% of my life has been spent now outside of America. So I really think it's important to search for my heart and see the whole history. And I think <laughs> my take on, on uh, history in general is probably a little different than most people. Uh, in the second volume, Larry Kramer says that history is a catalog of evil. It is a lineage of monstrosities and atrocities and calamities that have been incurred by people with malignant intent. And I kind of disagree with him. And I think he honestly is contradicting himself because what these books prove is that history is little more than a linkage of sex over time and it's different acts of reproduction and erotic impulses that spur the world further. And nothing has really established that quite as clearly as these monotonous books where that is maybe the only message you could take away from. But where this kind of gets into a mess is that, of course, it all climaxes with the HIV AIDS epidemic in the 80s. And so these books and the entire history of America and maybe the entire world is little more than sexuality and the development of HIV AIDS as we know it today. Does that make sense? Totally. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't have said it better. Okay, that's like that's oh. like what I think. I think he's, you know, that that's the mission of these books is like creating like an erotic history of gay men and the American civilization. And I think that's what the books communicate, don't you? Yeah. So I, when you first told me about these books, I had no fucking idea what this was about. So I just started diving in and throughout my reading of the 1700 plus pages, I did some research here and there. And uh, Larry Kramer has stated that one of his missions is that there's no gay history uh that there's like queer studies and queer studies and queer studies okay we are once again recording um yeah, everything is trying to stop us. Microphone problems galore, and uh, I have to eat, like twenty gigabytes of stuff off my computer. But please go ahead. What were you saying, dear? I'm just trying to say that Larry Kramer wants to write a gay history. That was one of his goals. That's all I'm trying to say. Whoever in the government that's trying to fuck with us, like because we're the only fuck people who read this book, <laughs> fuck off. We had to talk about this. We're trying. <laughs> we're yeah. doing our. We're doing our. <laughs> Why is my mic so fucking loud? It's max. Okay. This is getting ridiculous. One sec. Okay. okay. Check, 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 check. One, two, one, two. Holy fuck. Okay. Looks like we're good to go now. That was insane. Psychotic microphone behavior. Anyway. So, like you said, Larry Kramer was one of the few people who wanted to establish an actual gay history and not a gay academia. He went to Yale growing up and he was given a large uh, endorsement to create a gay history department at Yale. And yeah, the biggest 
hangups of his entire life is that they immediately grouped it in with queer studies and uh, did not teach it in the way that he gave them the money to. And he would complain about this for the rest of his life. And he was so bitter that he ended up taking on his idea of a gay history by writing this two volume set of a basically 1700, 1800 page novel recounting the entire history of America from a gay point of view. Yes. And we have to mention that due to legal, or I guess under the advice of his advice of his publisher, um, like most people's names are rewritten. Like, I don't know how he chose to do that. Like, Anthony Fauci is someone else, but then George Washington is George Washington. So I guess it's if they're alive, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, he said in an interview <laughs> that the publisher made them made him call it a novel um, because <clears throat> they could be like sued for presenting some of this information, which appears not to be factually based. Although Larry Kramer will tell you in his mind, this book is 100% nonfiction and is only referred to as a novel and having um, like prominent contemporary figures having their name changed. Uh, Institutions like the New York Times are referred to as the New York Truth. Um, Donald Trump, when he appears in like the last hundred pages of the novel, is called Derek Dumpster. Very smart, Larry. Mm, Yeah, totally. That's that's what an 80-year-old gay man would call him. (laughs) Exactly. But it's kind of in line with his other book of fiction, Faggots, which I talked about in season two, Uh, Because he has an obnoxious sense of humor for alliteration and silly, poofy words. So he kind of gets off on giving people these intolerable, obnoxious nicknames that are quite, like, embarrassing and cringe to read. I know. Like, uh, Sister Grace Hooker or something? Yeah, (laughs) Dr. Sister Grace Hooker. Israel Uh, Jerusalem. Israel, Dr. Israel Jerusalem. That's my favorite one. Um, Dame Lady Hermia Blood Wrench. <laughs> <laughs> and as I said, like once you start like picking up on even the most basic structural pieces of this novel, you start realizing how annoying and frustrating it's going to be. And basically the structure of the book is that it is narrated historically by several characters, including um, several that we just listed. Um, But the most prominent of them is Fred Lemish, who is literally just Larry Kramer with no details, but his name changed. Exactly. Which I didn't realize till I think volume two. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's because that's when, you know, he basically appears in the story um, most seriously, but um, he uses this Fred Lemish moniker, um, which he also used in Faggots. So it's kind of the same character and presents this like 50-year career arc of putting all of his fiction in one uh, universe. And it is his idea of creating a, a non-fictional and legally unbinding uh, portrait of America as he sees it. Basically, Fred Lemish, the narrator, as Larry Kramer uh, plus Dame Lady Hermia Blood Wench, <laughs> um, Israel Jerusalem, and several other characters narrate um, conflicting arguments about history. They frequently 
curse at each other and are constantly annoyed with one another. They present different ideas about history and they go chronologically through it with the addition of one other major narrator, the underlying condition. <laughs> That's right. What is the underlying condition? The <laughs> The underlying condition is the name he gives the HIV, which is it's so interesting that he doesn't, I, I don't know why he had to change the name of that. That's like ridiculous, but he calls it UC, the underlying condition. Mm-hmm. Um, and it narrates the book and it's, he's very sassy. And he's like, uh, you know, haha, all you faggots are dying type of thing. Yeah. So AIDS starts narrating the book very early on because uh, he keeps insisting HIV as a person, which uses the pronoun. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I just, I just gendered AIDS. No, it's correct though, because he refers to himself as a basically as a male force, which I think is interesting. But he appears very early and uh, suggests that he has been present throughout the history of humanity <laughs> because all viruses and all illnesses are, in fact genetic precursors that just develop over time and exposure. So he begins to suggest that uh, he has been present since like the beginning of human history. And the book begins um, in Florida, I believe, in the jungle forest full of monkeys. The Everglades. Yeah, that's that's right. right. (laughs) So this is one of the most shocking things. And uh, one of the most important aesthetic qualities of the book is the sexual violence and completely despondent, horrific portraiture of sex that he makes. Because it begins with a monkey um, raping a little girl monkey and then eating the monkey's brains and then dying from an illness several days later just to get eaten by more monkeys. Yeah, he has he has very detailed graphic sexual scenes in here where there's a lot of big, huge dicks like killing people by like fucking them so hard and like just blood and other fluids graphically described it's just like uh, that that monkey rape scene thing is in the first like 20 30 pages and i was like i was like just you know buckling in ready for the ride yeah they write they start then they start rubbing themselves with pieces of her bloody flesh as if they were using soap or unguent or perfume or holy water which we'll learn to use ourselves one day as invitations of welcome to each other And then they start playing with themselves, masturbating themselves, all in a group. One big group made up of lots of little groups, going back and forth, changing around, switching partners, tasting each other, a big buffet, a cafeteria, all kinds of foods, boys with girls and girls with boys and boys with boys and girls with girls. Yep, a big buffet. What else do monkeys have but time? So immediately within 20 pages of the book, a little monkey has been raped. Its head is bashed in, and then they masturbate using her flesh, which they then eat off of their monkey genitals. Yeah, you know, I mean, he, it's, it's, he offers like so many different theories for how HIV started. But um, I think the sex monkey orgy is my favorite one. Yeah, it's mine as well, Um, because 
Like I mentioned, he has this idea of America not as a country or an institution, but actually just like a permanent sex orgy that creates history. And on that same page, he says, sex is what holds the living together in a group, in a family. They're glue. They fuck all the time from the minute they get up night and day with their little ones often hanging on to them while they do it. So I feel like this is one of the key parts of the book is just how much he writes about sex, especially in the first volume, because it is without a doubt the most insane thing I've ever read. The amount of violence and disturbing sexuality that happens here is unlike anything you've ever read. Yeah, it's I, so he wrote these over 40 years and I feel like I don't know what his schedule was. If he like was like, I'm going to write like, you know, a few pages a day or something, but there is so much horniness just like scattered throughout this volume that um, I don't know. It's something to behold. I, these books are fucking masterpieces. Like I actually love, they are incredibly boring for, for the most part, but like the entire experience is like a psychedelic experience reading this shit. Um, but I do love all the crazy chem sex uh, incest orgy shit that's like throughout it. <laughs> but the whole quality of it is like a chem sex, like methed out orgy. Like, and I think that kind of like unhinged, like fucking until you die and like exploding your entire brain into these repulsive acts of like literally shitty, like diarrhea infused rubbing monkey orgies. It's, kind of what motivates him to write most of this book. And I don't think anything else in history has ever been published with that exact quality. And sexuality is something I bring up a lot on this show and I'm always in favor of it, but I've always warned of like the meth layer of like when you start like spinning too far out and Larry Kramer is extremely familiar with it evidently. And the way that he melts not only prehistoric history, but as we get into it, like every institution in American history into just an extension of that meth layer is like strikingly accurate. Yeah, it's 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 really brilliant. I mean, every taboo you can imagine is violated in these two, you know, seventeen hundred pages. But yeah, it's a uh, there's something there's something like like I said, it's like the sex, the orgies that are just sprinkled throughout these novel, these volumes, like keep it exciting and keep it, uh, at least for me, you know, like I'm a gay pervert, like all the shit's like, that's, those are my favorite parts. But, um, well, I mean, this is probably the only book in history that has ever dared to like write about history in this way where it's just is, you know, reduced to that sex pile. And so it is like uniquely and perversely thrilling to see, someone attempt to reorganize the entire history into something that is just like consequences and sequences of these orgies and he spares no one if you think he's just attacking gay people in this or just like white people you're wrong because before we even get to christopher columbus we have one of the probably the most racist things i've ever read in my entire life which is just like the entire indian sequence of the book yeah yeah, there's there's a ton of racial shit throughout this book. But yeah, that Indian, <laughs> he starts right out the bat with those Indians. Yeah, and he insists that all of the Native Americans, and he says, no one refers to them that way, so I'm going to call them Indians, and that's what you should call them too. 
if you think that they have like a civilized pastoral beautiful society you're wrong because all it is is older men raping little boys in every instance of indian society and he's literally makes the argument that like up until like contemporary history the entire indian population of america was just like uh fucking boys until they got too old and then they would take a wife and he says this is true of every tribe ever <laughs> yeah it's one of his most outlandish claims i mean uh i don't know man that that's there's also a portion in this novel i don't remember which volume where there's like a racial breakdown of sex where they're like one of the brothel masters is like literally listing every race and how different they are when they fuck and everything mm -hmm. and it's just like no holds barred it's it's amazing the um, special thing about him being a renowned activist and basically like the face of hiv aids activism in like the late 80s and early 90s is that he gets a weird license to say whatever he wants that no other liberal in history has ever been afforded and also yeah. because this book is so impenetrable and no one has ever finished it, no one even knows about like the deeply wild stuff he's saying. Do you remember the bit when he's explaining like the slaves getting brought into America and has that like four page sequence of like the black queen who, uh... do you know what I'm talking about? I kind of do. I, I Early first volume. Yeah, exactly. It's like, they're talking about how slaves end up getting brought to America and it just is like, it is so wild. It's like written in the most like crazy voice. It's just like me, like Uga Booga, me, like Dick went big, me, like when big thing go inside me, small slot. And mm -hmm. I'm like, whoa, my God, like a fucking like Democrat little liberal just like wrote this, like cracked out in his New York apartment on AIDS. I know, I know. I, I I also like that he just he published this and then he died. So it's yep. like <laughs> he got this no out one and can then hold he died. Accountable. No, yeah. no one ever will. Um, I think that this book starts kind of picking up like its shape um, with the arrival of the pilgrims. Yes. Yeah. So his idea is that after America starts to be begin slowly forming as a country with the arrival on like Plymouth Rock and everything, he says that. It's Jamestown, right? That's where they started? Yeah, Jamestown. The first colony. Yeah. Well, he says that there weren't many women at Jamestown for several yeah. years, and it was only exclusively men. And so his argument is that this actually um, turned into the first gay society in human history because there are no women to fuck, so they all made romantic bonds and coupled off with each other. And this actually was like the, one of the few controversies that got picked out of the book because the Daily Mail published an article that was like, crazy gay man writes novels saying the pilgrims were gay. Yeah, I mean, that's how far, you can tell how far they got into the novel. I mean. Exactly. Um, no, it's it's amazing. This is, you're right. This is where it starts picking up. And there's actually a very touching love story between two of Brutus and his lover. Yes, that's right. Um, and it's like, you know, 20, 30 pages of them first gay american lovers you can say and um i guess he's like brutus ends up being hung or dies and uh it's just it's, it's really tragic um first instance of american homophobia um. <laughs> the first instance of homophobia in america i really love this passage because 
once again imagining that this is envisioned completely as nonfiction, and he's just like totally inventing this to be honest um it is something that realistically would have happened because i don't know about what you i have hooked up with several straight men in my life and i'm not afraid to call them straight but if you ever tell that to a heterosexual person that they (laughs) well doesn't sound that straight to me but people don't realize that throughout the history of humanity when men are left alone in groups with each other they begin sexually interacting and Larry Kramer makes the delineation very early that homosexual does not just mean homosexual as in terms of like gay. It's not just like a cultural identity. It's a behavior. And so anyone who ever has any sexual interaction with a man can be considered homosexual. And every word of jargon thereafter is completely useless. And so straight people can absolutely be homosexual. And he makes the case that Throughout history, all of these men left to their own devices and like trapped in a foreign continent with nothing but Indians and no women around anywhere. Of course, they would start forming homosexual societies right there. Yeah, he's right. I mean, I I don't think people would deny it today, like in prison, for example, like all these guys who fuck. uh, No one calls them gay. People are people will outright just say they're straight, but there's no women around. So they're fucking, you know, and that no one denies that. So for him to make the claim that all these pilgrims coming over, and he, I remember like he was writing, like they're coming over and they're like, oh, the boat with your wives is coming over soon. And then it's just like, like five years later, it still hasn't come over. Um, so what are they going to do? Are they just going to like not fuck for five years? And I don't think so. I think so I think tender. a lot of his claims are not that outlandish. I mean, no, I think this is one hundred percent what happened. And to deny it is to just merely be wrong. Because honestly, like I said, men have. Uh, Larry Kramer says this too. He says like the thing that makes like the penis important is that it extends and is not. It is like in public view, and it must like take action mm-hmm. in order to achieve orgasm. Like you can't just like passively. Uh, be made to come by someone else you have to do it yourself and so that innate drive of i have a penis i have to have an orgasm it's like a part of your biology that makes it so that in any circumstances one is eventually going to do something with someone of the same sex he's right man i mean (laughs) we were both in fraternities yeah we were we were both in fraternities um you know, it happens and uh, nothing to be ashamed about. Um, the pilgrims did it. John Win- Winthrop. That's right. The first, the first great American man. Uh, well, he didn't say, was he gay? I don't remember. Or was he just a raging homophobe? That, uh, he was a raging homophobe. Um, and he was, I think Larry Kramer says he was like extremely like sexually masochistic. Um, and so... Mm. Yeah, John Winthrop was one of the first people responsible for bringing like a sense of like religious um, fervor into the country. And so like the way he like imagines this like colonial America is like kind of as this like barren, lawless landscape. um, And uh, it's so lawless that it becomes almost Arcadian at first. And the gay men try to create like a society for themselves outside of Jamestown. He says those are the people at Roanoke, uh, and that the people from Roanoke all disappeared because they were gay men who were persecuted. <laughs> oh my God, that's right. That's right. 
Sure, girl. Yeah, the answer I'll for everything. I know, and the answer you know, is homosexuality. Yeah, and you know, there are so many unanswered questions like Roanoke in American history, and you know, why not? Why can't the answer be that it, they were just all fat kids? I think, you know, one of at least half of these have to be accurate, and I think this one's pretty true. Yeah, uh, these claims also, that he makes. This is also when we start describing gay people as hush market. Yeah. Hush marks or something. Hush market. Yeah, have you ever I've never heard, heard this that word before. before? No, have you? No. And I, when I Googled it, there was like nothing on it. But I wonder if this was something he made up or maybe it was like some old school gay slang. I think it might be some old school slang that just like never made it into publication. Or maybe it did somewhere and I'm just unfamiliar with it. But he says that there was like, this is the way they refer to people who were sexually devious um, yeah. And for basically the entirety of the first volume until like the last yeah. quarter, we call gay men hush market. <laughs> yeah. And then he always introduces when he gives you the specific date, like the new word is introduced. So he's like, gay is introduced this year, and then homosexual, like the first time this is like written mm-hmm. out in paper. Um, he's done his like research. It's a very historical. That's the thing with this fucking book. It's like, there's so much real history in there and then it's just like mixed with all of this conspiracy narrative shit that you just like don't know where reality begins and ends yeah um, which makes it fun it is fun and eventually you just start taking everything to be true and just accepting that yeah <laughs> you just say okay well i mean he's right enough that i'm sure there's at least one degree of truth in this somewhere yeah, um, yeah exactly so I guess the next major historical event is when we are introduced to the Civil War. Uh, the Civil War, yeah. I mean, what about George Washington? Though? Isn't George Washington after the Civil War? No. Oh. <laughs> Civil War is Abraham Lincoln, actually. No, no, yeah, oh, wait, pretty... I didn't mean to say the Civil War. I meant to say the War for Independence. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, yes, you're right. <laughs> There's a lot of wars that happen in here, too. Or it's a little frustrating. Um, yeah, but he says that basically in order to, like, divide America from the United Kingdom and begin its fledgling status as a new country, um, it was, once again, all of these men fighting and that when they were left to their own devices... Uh, this marked like the first formalized time in American history in which men were being actively organized into a society and chose homosexuality. And he also says that all like the blood spilled and the death um, starts to create a country of blood. And this is something I think is interesting because he sort of imagines that all of the blood spilled, all of the sicknesses and um, the shared disease that comes from living in incredible like proximity to other people makes everyone sick and then their corpses dissolve into the ground and then the soil itself literally becomes like a bastion of disease and so he says that basically with the civil sorry with the war for um independence onward the country becomes spiked with blood and roots of aids yeah (laughs) yeah 
Yeah, there's so much blood and shit throughout this novel, and it's such an important theme. Um, we talk about the shit a little bit because it's nonstop in this book, and we've only barely touched non-stop. it. It's a little awkward to talk about, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, who wants to talk about shit? Larry except for Kramer. Larry Kramer. Yeah. <laughs> he literally it's... like says that sorry, the history of this is not like, you know, what laws come into effect and like what historical things happen. It's everyone shitting themselves, eating their shit, cannibalizing other people full of shit, and then shitting it out and then dying and having your he describes multiple times when corpses like expel their shit after death. Yeah. He talks about all of it melting into the ground so that America is like literally a country of fecal matter. Yeah. It's, it's so prevalent and there's this book, like if you haven't already caught on, it's just filled with vignettes of like random stories that are not connected to the larger narrative. But there's like this like story later on that, do you remember the one with like the, the black like the black women and like the their son that who they drop his body and it explodes because he yes. it's like an aids in fact he like explodes and just like shit and blood everywhere and it's like why did he have to write that there's like, <laughs> like one whole like township in america that like is um infected with disease at one point and um he describes like one of the bodies of like one of the raped slave girls as being so covered with hardened pus that it becomes like tree bark oh my god i like (laughs) it's disgusting i mean in the 21st century we don't have to deal with so much sickness like i don't it's interesting because COVID is like probably one of the most important like things that happened in our history. And yet in terms of like the medicalism and like the imagery of sickness, it was all so wiped clean and like put under yeah. the, the digital curtain so that the only like image that we have of it now is masks and lockdowns and those plastic borders that they put up on tables to keep people separated from each other but when you think about sickness in this era of history it must have been something like he was describing with all of this like exploding pus and fecal matter and like sickly limbs dropping from people's bodies you kind of imagine that he must be right yeah he we have such a sanitized version of like even when we talk about aids and stuff we don't really get down to like the medical monstrosity of what happens to people's bodies and stuff and he is such a combative personality and he wants to force this image upon everyone like if you if you watch any of his videos with Fauci and stuff he just like he doesn't mince words and he's um he wants everyone to feel the pain (laughs) so including the readers um so yeah that's just a fun thing to look forward to if any one of you uh listeners is going to read this book it's just tons it is of the blood most disgusting thing and like I, I tried to describe a little bit like why it's so nasty but it's because of that weird like satirical tone he writes those when it's like i don't know i get this image of when he's like describing dicks basically it's like they're like these big dumb bobbing up and down like organs that are just like ridiculous yeah. elbows or something and it's just like constant like cooming and you know like what what's, what's yeah. it called when people do those like seven hour jerk off sessions and like gooning gooning yeah yeah he really gooning. gets so it's so cooming. embarrassing to read cooming 
Kuming Kumar Gooming Diarrhea, the novel. It's so disgusting when he does like those orgy pageant scenes because it just feels so unintellectual and like dumb. And I can't really, it's like a weird like carnival pageant of like clowns fucking. It is. It's really, it's it's so weird. Parts of this book reminds me of have you read Pet Cemetery by mm-hmm. Stephen King? Or at least a lot of it, it's kind of like the 80s Stephen King writing where it's just like, it gets very like outlandishly exaggerated and kind of spooky. And uh, uh, one of my favorite parts of this volume one is the Bloods story later on, which is like this like 100 page story about uh, this woman who can't stop bleeding out of her vagina. Um Oh, do you remember that? God, it goes on forever. <laughs> it goes on forever, and then it ends in like some weird, uh, wick, like um, spirit, like weird, spooky ghost sex thing, which just comes out of nowhere. Uh, sorry, I'm jumping ahead. I know, but uh, let's go back to the Civil War. Well, or yeah, the I mean, War of Independence. The War of Independence, not the Civil War. <laughs> Even though I don't even know if it's called the War of Independence, he wouldn't tell you because he does not care enough about like historical terms or anything that he just rockets through it and expects you to get it and then he moves the fuck on. Yeah. <laughs> so the next major figure in his um, recollection of America as a gay country is George Washington, who he says yeah. is 100% without any doubts whatsoever, the queeniest huntiest, cunty, diva, hush market faggot in history. Yeah, he's, him and his lover, Alexander Hamilton, are uh, very, you know, thoroughly described. George Washington is described as being super greedy bottom because he can't stop, he needs land, he needs more land, he can't stop acquiring land. Um, Yeah, George Washington is gay. He is gay. My favorite part is when he's describing just how much of a hunty, hunty queen he is and is talking about how <laughs> he is a disgusting person. He makes it clear. He's like bloated, overweight, like his body is misshapen, like a potato left on a car dashboard in midsummer Texas. And he it's like a soggy potato. And the way that he overcompensates is through these like campy wigs and his favorite yeah. teeth. And these corsets that he has to custom order from the UK in order to get his <laughs> fucked up hog body to be presentable enough to wobble out to go select from any of the boys he has living um, in his house. Yeah, he's all powdered up and uh, he he to cover the purple spots and um, sunken eyes that he describes that, that's like a running theme throughout all the people who have AIDS and stuff. It's like they have purple spots on them and like um, they, you know, he actually like cites people writing about George Washington's uh, complexion and stuff when he's on his deathbed and says that, yeah, he definitely had AIDS because of the way his uh, features looked and he was described with like sunken face and shit. So, um, and he writes really interestingly yeah. about like the presidential portraits and imagery of George Washington, where even when you're looking at yeah. him in a like a aggrandizing portrait, he always looks uncomfortable, out of place, and like he's covering something up. Yeah. 
And the the first book has this hyper zoomed in cover, which oh, yeah. is the portrait of him across uh, the the front and back. And when you hold it, you do get that uh, trademark Mishima Yukio perpetual sadness in the homosexual's eyes. Yeah, he has that sadness in his eyes that you only see in Eastern European gay porn. <laughs> exactly, and he has those like pursed, cunty lips that just are frequently like downturned into sad melancholy over not getting whichever one of the soldiers he wants to frig him um i really hate the sequence in which he like keeps dragging like the 14 year old boys into his bed and making them fuck him and it just is like the most like he gets into so much detail about like the sweat and the stink of him and like the worn out perfume it's so and like the sweaty bed sheets that they're all like tied up in Thank you for writing about George Washington this way because I will never unsee it. Yeah, I know it really it really changed my mind. I actually didn't, you know, I I don't I never had an impression of George Washington other than him being, you know, George Washington. Um, so Larry Kramer really gave me a lot of insight, um, and I think this was there was controversy uh, around before this book was published about this. And I feel like because Larry Kramer had, there was an article in which he stated that he found like a hidden diary uh, and he made the proclamation that George Washington is gay. Um, he found like the diary hidden under the floorboard and bought it in an auction. So he made like a very outright claim. And I think it led to a lot of controversy. Like, Oh man, this gay guy just thinks everyone's gay. Um, and he's right. And he's right. Like I, <laughs> I just completely like. Maybe I'm just completely brainwashed by this book, but it, I don't see how he couldn't be gay. Especially like looking at those fucking portraits. That's all you need to see when it comes to evaluating a homosexual. And like in this time, I can completely imagine this thing happening. It just seems too realistic not to be true. But the other thing that I found really important about this is he constantly brings up like why this history isn't preserved because he said obviously like alexander hamilton and george washington were like in deep you know emotional contact were writing these deep sprawling love letters to each other and he says that the reason that they don't get passed around is because of the wives of homosexual men who burn the letters after yes that's a very clear running thread it's the first ladies that are covering this all up if their sons are gay um their husbands are gay they know it but they're like no 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 i'm gonna i'm not gonna let this pass and they're all conniving i i fucking love i can't wait to talk about nancy reagan because he goes in on her <laughs> oh god i can't wait his portrait of nancy reagan is the best part of the this yeah. whole book but like I'm obsessed with this detail about like the conniving women who do not want history to be true and are so obsessed with themselves and their own like legacy and history that um, George Washington, Kramer writes, like did not care. He wished to be unknown and he wanted to just be like a floating image and did not want to be perceived as he was because he was an awkward, unfortunate homosexual. But Martha Washington wants to have him have the best <laughs> legacy possible. So she burns all of his records and, this remains true as recently as Mishima Yukio because she refuses to let any of his letters or diaries be published and refuses to let Kyoko's house be published into English. She died and she bestowed that tradition onto her bratty children who continue to do so. So this also rings as very true to me. It's really sad that 
I mean, I don't want to get into like a like a women tangent right now, but I, I feel <laughs> like um, you know so much i read a few reviews of these books and there was one reviewer i'm assuming it was a woman who was like you know there's not much written about lesbians or like women in this novel and when they're mentioned they're mentioned as like conniving uh you know manipulative people but i'm like it's fucking about aids yeah like it's a history about aids like when he has when he does those list of names they're all like men's names like I'm, i mean what do you want? Like, there's actually, there's actually a really, there's a, like a 20, 30 page vignette about the lesbian camp, which is like one mm-hmm. of my favorite ones. Do you remember that? Where it's yes, like, of course. The women, <laughs> like all these lesbians just like uh, moved to Delaware with like a bunch of money and uh, have this compound in which they're just, there's no men. And um, actually it's funny because you were taught, you just, you're talking about that on the utopia thing, uh, mm-hmm. with Bjork, like a female compound. And then they just like bring men in uh, to fuck the women and pregnate them. And eventually some guy figures out what's going on and goes in and kills all of them and uh, runs them out. Yeah, but, he um, has several wandering lesbians who like appear like mythic figures throughout the novel. And like uh, one of my favorite of them <laughs> has like a cross-dressing bodyguard who is just like a really tall dyke and who like uh, <laughs> comes across as a man and they just like go across the country like having beautiful affairs with women until they all gather in, like, society. Yeah. Like, another thing that I can completely believe, like, America is such a young country, if you really think about it. It's just yeah. happened the other day in the long span of things. Um, but it also doesn't feel that divided from, like, the ancient past where, like, you can imagine in, like, medieval England, like, people wandering around in, like, weird sexual, like, decadent displays, like, flagellating themselves after the plague, like, it's not that far from that, despite how recent America was born, that I don't know, I can see it. Yeah, I mean, a lot of this stuff seems pretty plausible. Um, and you want to talk uh, about Abraham Lincoln. I do. I want to oh. talk about Abraham Lincoln. That's <laughs> this is the best part of the volume one. Absolutely, is his harrowing portrait of the great love of homosexual society, Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. You want to go? You want to? I want to hear what you think about this. All right. Okay. So Abraham Lincoln is described (laughs) in detail. Um, First of all, I, I like, I'm not a huge history nut, but his love, his lover, Joshua speed Mm -hmm. uh, is a real person. I looked it up and it's like, there's tons of stuff written about this. The, a lot of people speculate they're gay so it goes in through all the history of them being lovers and it, the way he describes abraham lincoln with having like long limbs like he must have had like marfans or something but he was like in pain all the time and uh john wilkes booth um had a giant deformed penis with a bend uh and Joshua Speed, Abraham Lincoln's lover, was like obsessed with, or I guess basically like set up like a three way or something with them just so they could see like see John Wilkes Booth, the deformed penis. And um, that's what, and they all laughed at him. And that's what made Booth kill Abraham Lincoln. It was a gay lover's quarrel. Um, also true. Also true. I think very likely. Um, very specific. Um, I think I've actually heard in history, though, like from actual sources that like John Wilkes Booth did have a fucked up penis. 
No, I think a lot of that is true. I think most of the Abraham Lincoln stuff is accurate because I, I this was like early on in the book where I was fact checking because I was uh-huh. like, I don't know what's true, what's not. And a lot of the stuff uh, fact checked to be true. So, yeah, absolutely um, incredible. I feel like Larry Kramer also really deeply identifies with Abraham Lincoln because um, Faggots, his, uh, his novel that he published in the 70s, is all about how he could never win the true love of his affection, uh, who turns out to be David in the second novel, as we'll get to. But he um, yeah. he could, because Abraham Lincoln could never, like, consummate his, like, true love with John Speed, uh, he was, like, a deeply, like, pained, emotional, like, withdrawn person. And they had literally shared a bed for five years, which is historical fact. And if you read, like, the uh. Wikipedia page, like, this is a common, like this is a common trend at the time. And it's like, that's certainly true. But if you put two people in a bed for five years, something happens. That's so, it's, it's so weird how there's such a reluctance to just say what today people, people, yeah, today everyone would just be like, okay, this guy's obviously gay or they'd be like, bye. But like historians are so scared to like go that, go that route. Cause it's like going into conspiracy theory land but I'm like, history was written by like somebody like, and they left shit out. You know, it's like we only we we're only going based on like what was written down by like some other gay guy, you know, or their wives. The entire um, like the entire run of history is a subjective record of like what is chosen to be remembered, and it seems that American academia has a really difficult problem with overcoming that and realizing that there is an entire sensual universe that is like left off the page that can only be imagined through putting pieces of evidence together and making an inference. And that's why people struggle so much with like Foucault and Polya as well is because they're not yeah. afraid to see what's staring you in the face and just make the logical connection and not bother oneself with endlessly proving everything. And I feel like that condition has only gotten worse as time has gone on. And now every single thing in the world with the amount of like media and records that exist on the on the internet everything has to be proved and true and backed up twice when the way that human civilization works is that so much of it is in this weird like realm of feeling and emotion that cannot be made tangible like our history as human beings is like all floating around in our feelings and in our sex drive. And that's why like when Larry Kramer like makes his depiction of Abraham Lincoln, like I know that he's just stating the obvious and it frustrates me that actually that this has to be called a novel and that we just can't accept that as fact. Yeah. It's really sad. It's uh, this Larry spent 40 years doing extensive historical research and uh he had all this material and for it just because of a you know a legal thing for it to have to be called a satire novel and stuff and uh, not historical fact like he wanted to is sad um and you guys can decide if uh you want to believe that abraham lincoln and joshua speed who shared a bed for many years were straight or if you want to believe what everyone today would think yeah i mean uh, i gotta go piss real quick yeah yeah go ahead yeah perfect
you ready to talk about the Civil War? Let's do it. <laughs> okay, so the Civil War, um, basically, Larry Kramer says this was like an apocalyptic event that ended history for America and generated the contemporary mindset that we have today. Um, he says that like the war for independence, um, this led to so much bloodletting and sickness that there's absolutely no possibility that AIDS wasn't at least partially involved in the desecration of the young men at war. Um, and he writes that something that's true, which is that more people died in the civil war than I think every other war in American history combined. I think that's true. Um, the, the stories, I think he like talks about Walt Whitman as part of the civil war and yes, where he, he goes and visits the hospitals of all these. And he's just like sad seeing all these handsome, beautiful men dying. And he goes into like a lot of detail on that. And it's, it's really sad. And I feel like maybe cause I'm gay, but that part really moved me. Um, but yeah, I, I liked it. <laughs> it moved me too. Um, it's difficult to imagine just how bloody and nightmarish the Civil War was. Um, but it was like literally like complete mud death. Um, and Larry yeah. Kramer takes quite a conservative description of it. And, um, you know, he kind of like favors the South a little bit in his depiction of it because he has a lot of sympathy um, for what happened to a lot of the Confederate soldiers after the war. And there's like a, a really shocking 40 page sequence where he just describes like the young men so shell shocked and traumatized by what they've seen that half the country was reduced to like wandering, psychologically shattered people just roaming about the country listlessly like zombies. And that one moment yeah. of tenderness where it describes Walt Whitman like stroking the beautiful bodies of the the sick and the formerly handsome young soldiers who were like slowly fading into death is like beyond touching. Yeah. I think that's that obviously throughout the book um, with there's a theme of beautiful men being, you know, just their bodies crumbling and being transformed by AIDS and by war and everything. And it's just like always so sad when he writes it. <laughs> it's like, he goes into such beautiful detail and that's that's part of the brilliance there are like moments of brilliance throughout this book and he's a really good writer uh yeah when it's, it comes to that it's clear that like we described like how repetitive and like obnoxious like most of the writing is in this but there <laughs> when he like reaches for a sublimity and tries to turn all of this nightmare out of like the honking like gay clown sex festival of like diarrhea death when he tries to like turn that into something like beautiful and like find something like tender and sweet and uh, worth living for from that, it is very touching. And it reminds you that like you have to look back at this history and like grimace because of the horror that occurred. But like the human experience is innately something about turning all of that nightmare into something worthwhile. Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, especially in the second volume, he, where it gets a lot more autobiographical and he starts talking about gay love and stuff. That's, mm -hmm. uh, there are passages that, you know, maybe when I was younger, I would have thought were, were like corny and like, you know, too syrupy and stuff, but it made me emotional. Like it's, he writes about it very beautifully. Um, 
And maybe it's like the shock treatment of just being hit over the head with bloody orgy sex stuff and then just switching it so quickly to like, you know, tender love and Mm -hmm. um, things like that. But the Walt Whitman, yeah, the Walt Whitman scene in um, Civil War was the first instance of that or one of the first. Yeah, and he uh, complains he was like, uh, you know, Walt Whitman was like the only like actively like gay writer who like tried to make sense of any of this. And he like actively like decries like Henry James and like Mark Twain, uh, who, by the way, were all clearly into men. And that is like, you don't this yeah. doesn't even, he doesn't even like spend time trying to prove it with Walt Whitman because it's just so obviously true and everyone knows it. But once again, no one in any <laughs> academic setting will tell you that. Um, we have to he also okay, he ahead. also calls. Uh, now that you mentioned Mark Twain, he also calls Huckleberry Finn the first gay novel. Uh, he says Huck and um, uh, Jim were uh, lovers. Obviously, obviously, <laughs> uh, we have to talk about one of the most confounding passages in the entire volume, um, which is Fruit Island. Yeah. Fruit Island. <laughs> so Larry Kramer is talking about this like syphilis concentration camp where they basically take under government funding a bunch of like um, syphilis and sexual disease victims and they lock them all up inside of a weird prison sanatorium on something called Fruit Island. Um, and then the attending doctors start raping everyone um all of the people in the prison are raping each other and it ends in like a holocaust of like cannibalism and like like a cannibalism orgy what did you make of this i okay so this is where there's this plot line of poppers like the history of basically what is current day poppers um and that's it's that runs through the fruit Island thing because mm-hmm. it's described how like someone is mixing together uh, a bunch of materials, which includes fossilized shit uh, and uh, how the original iteration that he calls it the dridge ampule was so strong that it would just like immediately take over your mind and you just want to like savagely fuck whatever's in front of you. Um, so the there's a character in Fruit Island who I don't remember if he was a doctor or what, but he takes a bunch of this uh, and he gets a boner that he can't get rid of, and uh, it's just he has to fuck everything he can and eventually like cuts it off. Do you remember that part? I sure do. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, there's like this crazy mob sex thing where they just you know take some of that bridge ampule and uh it ends up with them ripping each other apart limb by limb like the day of the locust uh and um yeah that's that tends to be a theme of the book it's having crazy sex and then ripping each other apart limb by limb yeah because he has a fixation on the idea that um sex when it removes personhood and does not celebrate or promote it is like literally having your body ripped apart and so of course in his broad stroke history, he just um, assumes and asserts that this keeps happening. The formation of poppers, as he writes, is so unbelievable and wild. Um, If I recall exactly what it is, it's this man who is extremely diseased with syphilis and God knows what, 
like yeah. shits and then throws up in his shit. He takes fossilized shit. Um, he like takes his pus and like squeezes it out onto it. He um smears it onto a rock, and then it after several days of like rotting in the sun, yeah. hardened, and then he makes it into a powder. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And that was the original poppers. <laughs> I mean, sure. Like, okay, why not? I guess. That's I mean, a- <laughs> if you think about what poppers does to you, like, people who, like, take enough poppers, like, you could be down to do a lot of things you aren't down for. And mm-hmm. um, we were just, I feel like we were just talking about this the other day, how people complain, the reformulation queens about poppers. Like, people will be like, oh, you don't have the original good stuff. Like, this, the new stuff's so watered down. You need to go get, like, unmarked brown bottles from san francisco or something marked bottles but, um, yeah the hush marked bottles but um he kind of is doing the same thing where he's like the original stuff was made you so violently horny that you would just like murder everything in sight it's interesting that it. he blames so much of like um this disaster of the hiv ep- aids epidemic on like poppers basically and at first i was like a little um dubious about this but when thinking about that conversation we had about like the poppers reformulation queens, it is like there are people <laughs> who like desperately need poppers to like reach that level of sexuality where they can like abjectly fuck into the void. And even yeah. in Japan, where poppers are illegal, you know, I've heard of people who like make their own and they'll like show up to hookups with it and like creepy glass like bottles that are clearly not meant to like hold anything like that and they have to do it people are like dying for it and it's like maybe there is like some element of truth to this yeah i mean (laughs) he goes into it later on um about kind of like hiv (laughs) denialism and stuff and people saying it's just uh just people like the gay lifestyle like like you're fucking with your immune uh system so much by doing all these drugs and poppers and stuff that you just your body starts falling apart um and i feel like he doesn't obviously he just like introduces as a theory he doesn't say that's what actually is going on but i feel like this poppers plot line just starts so early on and uh it's so interesting it's just so interesting how Poppers are so integral to the history of like AIDS and stuff. It is. I've never thought about it before until he suggested it. Now it's definitely kind of boiled into my consciousness. But I am curious about what you think about his general like sex negativity as well. Like he's quite famous because most people, like I said, have only read faggots, if that. And that book is, you know, all about just like the wicked bottomless pit of sexuality and how dangerous it is to throw yourself into it. Obviously, like me myself, I like think that sexuality is like one of the most ecstatic human experiences um, that is deeply capable of like bringing people's consciousness closer to one another than through any other act. I feel like to me, sex is so important because it's like one of the few things that can kind of melt the barriers of the ego and expose you to someone's heart as truly as possible. Um, And so, you know, reading like this, uh, I don't think there's, except for, like, Abraham Lincoln and, like, a few other instances, like, the Jamestown, um, like, lovers, like, 
he kind of imagines that like all sex up until like post-war American homosexuality is just like a slip into that vortex. And I, I want to know what you kind of think about his philosophy towards it. I don't agree with his philosophy fundamentally. I mm-hmm. think um, like currently at least with, I'm very like disenchanted with online stuff seems like very boring right now. And I'm just kind of in a pro fun mindset. And yeah. that includes having sex and having a great time, which for all the work Larry did to, you know, get drugs for AIDS and all this stuff, like he kind of made it so we can have fun and have sex right now. And I think people should, because you never know when they're going to unleash the next plague on us. Like, mm-hmm. it's like, I, I don't, yeah, I disagree. I, like he's, he's just like a downer, you know, he's like, <laughs> he's, <laughs> he has kind of like a, dour uh, view of everything but I, I don't i don't agree with his sex negativity yeah he's um, got like a weird jaded zoomer attitude towards it it doesn't really make sense and jack mentioned this to me when we were on the phone a few days ago he said that you know faggot is like pretty overrated and is kind of just like interesting for the title and like the cover and it's um you know it, it's kind of philosophically dangerous because it was written about a very different like time that doesn't apply now um he didn't use those words exactly but like I, I do think he's a little right and that there is like this layer of unbridled chaos. And I probably think like this kind of modern America he writes about probably didn't have like any of the tools to like elevate like sex into the like beautiful act of like consummating like one's heart with another. And I think that there is something to like say about that. However, yeah. Even in like anonymous encounters I have or like people I don't know very well or it's just like a one and done thing. I mean, you can still uncover a heart and like learn really intimately about someone through, you know, even just like a 20 minute like blowjob in a park. You can. And it's like it it's what makes life fun. I'm just not a. I'm a very sex positive. I hate mm-hmm. saying that, but I, I'm a very sex positive person. <laughs> I feel like uh, Larry, when he wrote Faggots, that was before AIDS. And uh, he, it's funny because when he's talking about I, the interviews I watched post AIDS, he's talking about how like a lot of his sex negativity, he doesn't call it that, but he says a lot of it was because, you know, people used to be able to love without any cons- fear of death. And, um, that kind of traumatized him and you know made him very like when like for example when the first AIDS drug came out and everyone started fucking again he was like depressed and he's like no like why are you guys doing this and like that makes more sense to me like I'll give him I'll give him an excuse but like when he was writing faggots and being so negative about sex like there was no AIDS at the time so why are you being such a bitch like let people have fun (laughs) um the other thing that's funny too is like when he lists all the people that he's had sex with as well you know I mean we'll get to it well when he get to I mean he was just as bad as us probably much worse yeah that's one of the uh shocking revelations of that so we'll get to that but um get there um we we got through the dridge ampule we got through Root Island. Oh, I know what we have to talk about. We have to talk about his um, one of the most shocking um, suggestions he makes in the book, which is that there's been an active genocide of 
gay people in America since like the 1800s. Yes. Yeah. With the um, Lovejoy Society, as Mm -hmm. he calls it. He Uh, says that they keep gathering camps of homosexual men, throwing them into pits. And like, there's one gay concentration camp. I think it's like in Idaho that he writes about where Tecla. Yes. And that's where they throw the seeds into the pit and they have to plant carrots and use their shit as fertilizer and then eat the carrots. And then it's not enough. So they eat the weakest member and they all are just in a hole. What is this? Yeah. Um, that's one of the claims I, I tried researching. I can't find anything about it. Um, but he does make claims that there have been active, there have been concentration camps of gays in the U.S. in like Utah and Idaho um, throughout history. And uh, he has like a lot of details on them. So it seems like, I don't know if he's totally pulling it out of his ass, but it seems like he's, you know, if we're going to believe everything here, like, you know, what do you, what do you think? What are you going to do? <laughs> I mean, I kind of do think that this must have been true a little bit because he writes like the German word like homosexual was introduced as like a law, basically like decrying it. And so homosexuality, as we know it today, was like born out of opposition. And the idea of a gay identity was like fundamentally like something that has been like illegal and frowned upon and like shoved from society like since its inception. And around this time as well, in the 19th century, in the 1800s, there starts to be a lot of philosophy around the world beginning to hover about eugenics, which is where this Lovejoy Society comes from, a regular meeting of a bunch of religious scolds who hate that everyone's having sex and having fun. And so they start planning out eugenics to make the perfect people and also plotting gay concentration camps. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a wild claim. Uh, it's one that I can't find anything about. But um, yeah, man, I <laughs> I, uh, I think it's uh, I think it's I don't know. I don't know how possible. I feel about it. It's possible. This is one of the ones I, I am less inclined, inclined to believe. To believe. Yeah, it Which seems I'm sure would just piss him off. Everybody's rolling in his grave yeah. right now. He's probably shaking his Jewish fist going, why can't these faggots understand? Why can't these sissies and these poofs understand what is one thing I wrote? We're like probably the only two people who've ever read these books. <laughs> He's like, we're carrying on his legacy. Um, and you know what? Just because he spent 40 years doing this and I'm trying to honor my elders, uh, I will take it. I will believe it. I'll say, uh, yeah, there were these pits, bottomless pits people were thrown into. Eating the carrots. Um, I'd love to imagine that he found proof that somewhere and like specifically like wrote about like, the carrot seeds or something. What a nutso. I love it. Um, so then we get finally up to the 20th century. It's taken about 700 pages to get there at this point. And yeah. this is probably the most boring part of the book. Um, there is the 100-page Jewish family nightmare that you mentioned earlier that i do not understand yeah i was actually pissed off reading this to be honest it was so because okay larry kramer has this bad habit of being a little too jewish sometimes like he goes all the way into the vaudevillian like whoa like song and dance like shaking my hands like yeah manelli carnival thing 
And when he goes too Jewy, it gets out of control. And this is like the most Jewish part of the book. It's insufferable. It so yeah so for the listeners basically around like page 500 of volume one (laughs) there's like a hundred and some page it just turns into like a narrative like actual story and there's no like breaks or anything it's just like it's called mass master bob gardens or something an american boyhood and it just tells a story about these characters which are which are recurring through the rest of the book daniel and david jerusalem um and I actually enjoyed it. I actually liked this part of the book. I thought it was like I was. It was. A, it was. I was reading it. And I was like, oh, this is actually like a novel. Oh, now. this is like a book. And it's easy it's to fiction. read. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I don't have to I focus like, that hard right now to understand what's going. Well, on. it was like it, there were. It was like a coming of age story. Uh, you know, where details about Daniel going through puberty and um, you know, his mutual masturbation with his like friend, uh, who later turns out to be. Uh, the Playboy Mansion guy. Did yeah. you pick up on Hefner. that? It is, yeah. Hugh Hefner. And it's like, um, he just talks about, like, he's raped by his uncle, Uncle Hyman. <laughs> Did you remember that part? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he, like, finds his, like, porn, and then uh, it's very graphic. And um, I don't know, it just turned into, like, a novel. And I was like, okay, this is easy to read now. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely and it's it's funny because there are this is one of those things where he does get like the tenderness right and there is like a, a sad like downtrodden eyes to the floor gay longing of these like boys um growing up and um, yeah he wants the to orgy keep, the oh, orgy that that goes on for like 30 fucking pages the yes. little boy orgy it's ridiculous it's very ridiculous so people were mad about Stephen king's it like orgy or whatever no one could ever swallow this seriously this would like make some catholics head explode like it's honestly shocking yeah it's um i don't even know if i should go into details because it's it's a 30 page circle jerk um, (laughs) where they talk in detail about the genitals of all parties involved um they humiliate one for having one that's too a micro a micro penis yeah. but one the bully the, the neighborhood bully. bully yeah and one boy gets off on sucking him off because he likes to humiliate himself and do the i get what's his life philosophy he says i, I want to try everything once everything's worth trying once and so he just that's like, the one who that's hugh hefner yes hugh, so hefner, hugh hefner sucks <laughs> off a 14 year old boy's micro penis wait i think the best part of the orgy thing is they all they like expose his micro penis, laugh at him, and then they all come on him, and then one of them pisses on him. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and then they all walk away kind of awkwardly and shy. And like the narrative yeah. passage is like, I gave one of my friends an awkward smile. I'm like, girl. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 uh Yeah, so there's that. <laughs> oh, and then Just... his brother uh is shipped off to Germany. Uh, to live with his uh, father who is working as a lawyer in German law, and they end up in a concentration camp yet again for gay people. Yes, so Mongol, the concentration camp, yes. which again, I couldn't find couldn't anything. Find anything. I, I don't know if he changed the name, but he like has names of like Goebbels and Himmler and all these like real famous Nazis, and then then he just like makes some names up, so I don't know like what's true. It's like, I, that's what like what part of this is like made up but yes the twin brother um david jerusalem 
basically gets sent to a Nazi concentration camp and that there's a lot of really graphic violence there. Um, there's like a scene of a boy being castrated and raped by a mentally retarded Nazi <laughs> prison guard in his vagina hole. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot of stuff. <laughs> I remember reading that scene and it describing like the bones and like flesh in his groin yes. from where yes. he's been castrated and like the slushing, sloshing sound it makes. And that was, um, heinous, <laughs> like it just, awful but yeah the reason i kind of want to take him for his word on this one is because people don't talk about this um gay men were massacred in the holocaust yeah yeah for sure they put that upside down pink triangle on their shirts and like i'm 100 sure that they did this stuff and they were genetically interested in like doing like these fantastical research projects on holocaust victims so there's absolutely no doubt that some you know hush market man was uh you know getting raped in his castration hole by retarded nazis like without a doubt no yeah for sure those the nazi experiment stuff was like wild i i don't even you know like the a lot of this is very likely to happen but what's interesting is that this this character uh, later goes on to become larry kramer's husband the, the boy no so i couldn't find information on that either is his husband actually did he did he go to a like a concentration camp in no. world war ii yeah so what i don't understand so like at what point his husband this... is still alive and not castrated <laughs> no his husband wasn't the castrated one it was the young boy yeah, yeah, so the, the other twin... one yeah it's it's a twin boy so like but yeah he like literally says that like david like his like what and there's like no information about this and i can't it's just shocking what is he going on about here and like why can you imagine being larry kramer's husband and like him writing this sequence of his like if this were to have happened of his like twin brother like getting like raped like what the fuck what on earth did david make of these books did he read them i I, i'm sure he did but what's so convoluted about it is that this this twin brother gets sent to uh a nazi camp and he is like the special boy that is not uh he's all everyone around him is dying and like experimented on and whatever and he gets like special treatment because his dad's friend was doing pr for hitler's like movies or something yes (laughs) and so he has like in with like the head nazi doctor dr go dr grodzo or something uh-huh. and uh who also sleeps with him and they form a relationship um and he like kind of i think they Absolutely. kind of love each other yeah um but that is a main narrative line of this is like this boy this special boy in this nazi camp who isn't killed but watches everyone else get killed and tortured and he basically sees everything, and uh, he's, like, traumatized. Yeah, and the novel closes <clears throat> with Larry Kramer saying that there were mass protests about these gay concentration camps. That didn't happen. Um, and, uh, and then he said, but no one listened, which is why you don't know about it. Okay, girl. Yeah. Sure. Well, like I said, <laughs> I'll take it. So we have now made it through the bulk of American history up until the end of World War II, 
We haven't got to the underlying condition, which we will begin addressing as HIV AIDS in the next episode. But for what we've gone through so far, what do you make of the United States of America and its history as a gay orgy diarrhea fiasco? I mean, I believe it. I think a lot of this is really outlandish and uh, it takes a personality like Larry to write this and say it with such passion that you just have to believe most of it. Uh-huh. Um, but what do I, what was the question? What do I make? What do you make <laughs> of America after having read this book? What's your, what's your take on this country? That everyone was gay and this country is filled with blood and AIDS and uh, a lot of sexual violence. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I kind of have mixed feelings about this first volume, uh, the way it like portrays history, U.S. history. Um, like, like I said, like I'm, 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 I want to believe him, but there's mm-hmm. like so much about it that is just like so exaggerated, and that's just like the way he does it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think by exaggerating and imagining. He kind of does get at the truth of it, which I do think that America is a land of soiled feces and blood and AIDS yeah. and that gay people have been present and involved with it and dying of mysterious sicknesses that would develop into what we know it as today throughout history. I think that <clears throat> is right. And like the exaggeration is a double-edged sword because he, by making this maximalist you know, portrait of the country, he kind of gets you he hits you across the head with like the image and impression that he wants to make of the country. But at the same time, he makes it so fantastic and unbelievable that it like also does come across as a little unconvincing at the end. But it, so it doesn't work while it does work. But I guess my takeaway is that like, yeah, our society is completely built on like sexual illnesses and mass acts of, people's hearts getting entangled with others and then awkwardly trying to dissolve those feelings through sexuality and it leading to increasingly uh, bizarre and outlandish events of atrocity. Yeah. I mean, he, he go a main thing that he, I feel like one of his main points in this first volume is trying to prove that gay men were there in the history of U S and integral to, and I feel like, um, I believe that I buy that I buy like the thesis mm. uh, and a lot of this stuff. I'm sure there's, I'm just not that, that much of an expert on us history. So some of the more outlandish stuff, like the concentration camps, uh, I, I could believe it, mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe, you know, <laughs> but um, yeah, I do believe that Abraham Lincoln was gay and uh, Shakespeare. He also mentions was gay, like obviously, obviously. Um, and I just, it's important to me to imagine like America as a gay country, and that's why gay activism and like homosexuality came to exist as like a global force. Every other country in history like reproduces American gay sexuality as its own as an identity marker, like. Japan basically didn't have any gay homosexuality as like an identity. And it was just like this infinite form of like boy fucking um, up until it was introduced by America. This rings as me as true for every country. And so imagining America not as like 
the land of slavery or like capitalist dreams coming true, but a land in which men started to actualize their feelings for each other and carry that into their souls and their daily being. That is beautiful to me, even if it starts leading to troubling things in the next book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I really love this book, like especially volume one. I think I do think volume two is better, but it is such a massive all encompassing work. It's just, it's a, a gesam. What is it called? Gesam Kunzwerk or whatever. Uh-huh. <laughs> you I know what I'm agree. Uh, but it, it covers everything. And um, I don't know. I just feel like this generation of older gay men has like a s- similar style and stuff. And it's kind of sad that they're all dying out, but I'm glad that Larry was alive enough to write this. Uh, I want to close out by reading the the last uh, the last passage in the, the section of the book. It's called "Where Are We?" and this comes after the uh, homosexuals have all uh, gone through this hellacious nightmare in the concentration camps. And Larry Kramer writes, "The never-ending story of what's happening is too horrid for most homosexuals to believe, <laughs> even if they could hear it." It was unbelievable enough to hear all those unconfirmed rumors about Hitler and homosexuals in concentration camps and ovens. A pathetic parade of a few dozen calling themselves the new hush markets, protests outside the White House, and then disperses when it looks like they'll get arrested. They've marched from the Capitol to the White House with placards saying, what is really going on at Partekla? Nobody knows what Partekla is. No one inside the White House even looks out the window. The new hush markets will only be around for a matter of months. There are a few of them. So no one sees them or hears them or cares about them in the least, including all other hush markets. Correction, homosexuals. The longer life's lived like this, the more there is to haunt it. Search for my heart no longer, Charles Bardler. The beasts have eaten it, the flowers of evil. A long, long time ago, I can still remember how that music used to make me smile And I knew that if I had my chance I could make those people dance And maybe they'd be happy for a while
Levy to the levy, but the levy was dry. And good old boys were drinking whiskey and rye, singing, This will be the day that I die. This will be the day that I die. We started singing. We started singing. We started singing.